So out of curiosity, how many of you were here uh, when we were at the camp? Okay, so how many of you were not? <laughs> okay, it's just good for me to know. And the reason is because uh, what I'm going to be speaking about today is an extension of one of the messages that I spoke on the uh, Saturday. Now, don't worry uh, if you're like, that was like two months ago. Don't worry. You don't have to remember anything I said. This is a standalone message. But I did want to mention that um, it is an extension. What I focused on, if you remember, on the Saturday night of the camp was prayer keys from the teachings of Jesus. Actually, that was the theme of the entire weekend. Um, but particularly on the Saturday night, I talked about um, authority, the prayer of faith and command based off of, of Mark 11, 22 and 23. What I wanted to focus on today is prayer keys from the Apostle Paul. So when I, what I ended on uh, at the camp was essentially saying, okay, we talked about the authority that we have in Jesus Christ and how he taught us how to pray. And um, the example he gave us and that, that his disciples gave us in the book of Acts. So I talked about the exercising our authority in the name of Jesus, faith and prayer, the command. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is the word of God. Okay, the word of God, which Paul, the apostle, refers to as the sword of the spirit. And I'm going to talk about prayer, okay? <laughs> so really, uh, it's a message on prayer. But what I want to do is basically give you guys a scriptural foundation, a short, brief scriptural foundation for the authority that we have in Christ. Okay, and then what I'm going to do is focus on prayers that are in the Bible from Paul the Apostle, uh, specifically in the book of Ephesians. And then what I want to do is end by talking about how Jesus gave us an example of, of how we actually apply the things that Paul talked about in Ephesians. So I want to give a little bit of a, just a brief, brief scriptural foundation for the authority that we have as believers in Christ. And then I'm going to move on to illust uh, uh, illustrating those in the prayers of Paul. So the first scripture that I'm going to start off on is Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So I should say this. If you guys weren't at camp, I use a lot of scriptures. And uh, if you guys want, you can, if you write notes or whatever, you don't, don't worry about it. If you want, I'm going to have a sign-up sheet. If you want to send or sign up afterwards, give me your email address. I'll send you these notes. So you have all the scriptures. Um, I'll send the audio and that kind of thing if you want it. And so don't worry about rushing because I'm going to go kind of fast through the scriptures. But the first scripture is from Luke. Now, this is Jesus Christ commissioning, this is the first time he commissions his disciples. And I want to emphasize something here. It says, when Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. The point is, Jesus called his disciples and he said, look, I'm calling you to do what I've been doing. I've given you the authority and power to do the stuff that I've been doing, and he sent them to do it. Okay, and then in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, he did the same thing with the 72. He called them together, and he commissioned them to basically carry on his ministry, to go on before him and do the stuff he's been doing. Okay, so the point is he's given us the power and the authority to do what he did. Now, what I want to point out and illustrate before I, I move on is in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, um, the disciples went, okay, this is the 72 now, they went out, did the stuff, and they came back super excited. They came back to Jesus, and Jesus, they were like, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. So they were really uh, excited and surprised, it seems, that even demons, the power of the enemy, 
had to listen to them in the name of Jesus. And, and that's essentially, when you say the name of Jesus, it's because it's the authority that Christ gave us to do those things that he commissioned us to do. What I want to point out is what Jesus, how he replied to that. He said in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. Okay, so that was Jesus' response. It's like, hey, this is what I've given you as disciples, as my disciples. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, which essentially are metaphors for the demonic realm, for the, the principalities and demons. And he said, I've given you power to overcome all the power of the evil one. Okay, all the power of the evil one. So Jesus commissioned us, and he gave us the same authority to overcome all the power of, of Satan. And he said, nothing will harm you, okay? Which is a pretty remarkable statement. Now, the reason I wanted to start off by, by giving those verses is so that we have that foundation that Jesus, as disciples of Christ, he gave us the authority and power to overcome all of the enemy's power, all of the attacks, anything that come against us. He's given us the authority to overcome that, okay? So the value of our authority rests on the power that's behind the authority, which is God himself. God himself is the power behind the authority that we have in Christ. That's why when the Holy Spirit, it always, often in Scripture, it says the power of the Holy Spirit. One and, right, they go hand in hand. It's like God's anointed us with the Holy Spirit if we're believers, right? Born again, we have the Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the omnipotent power of God, right? Omnipotent means all-powerful. We have that same power as believers in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So the devil and his, and his forces are obligated to recognize that authority. I used the illustration last time, and I'll use it again, just because I think it helps clarify the difference between power and authority, of a police officer. I know we have a retired police officer here. If a police officer goes in the middle of the highway number one with his badge, and he I, I doubt you've ever done this, hopefully, but maybe. Okay, we got PowerPoint now. Woo! So illustrating the difference between power and authority. Say a police officer goes out in the highway with his badge, and his semi-truck's coming, and he puts out his badge and says, Stop in the name of the law. The, the, the semi-truck has to stop. Now, if, to distinguish the two, the semi-truck has way more power than that police officer. Like, right? The semi-truck could trample over the officer if he wanted to. Hopefully not. But because the officer has the authority in the name of the law, the truck has to stop, right? In the same way, when we say, in the name of Jesus, stop, we have that authority. We have heaven backing us up with the authority we have in Christ, and the enemy has to stop. Even though he might be more powerful than you as an individual, it's not your power. It's God's power, and God's power is backing you up. Okay, so... The believers who thoroughly understand the power of God, that God's backing them up, can exercise their authority and face the enemy fearlessly. That's the point. We don't have to fear. And that's what Jesus says. Nothing's going to harm you. I've given you the power and authority. So then the question is, how do I get the revelation, the power and authority that I have in Christ? That's a good question. Because the, this is the thing with, a lot of times you see, you see these amazing things in scriptures, these amazing truths, and it's almost hard to believe. Right? It's like, what do you mean I have the power, to, the power of the omnipotent God backing me up? That I have access as a believer. 
And, and you know, like when we talked about Mark 11, uh, 22 and 23, that's what Jesus said. He said, look, if you say to this mountain, go cast yourself in the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe what you say will happen, it'll be done for you. It's like, what? We can speak to mountains literally and tell them to go in the sea and they have to listen to us in the name of Jesus? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the extent of the power and authority that you have in Christ. But notice the key if, is that if you don't doubt in your heart, if you don't doubt in your heart but believe that, you, that you, that'll actually happen, it'll be done. So there's a key there of faith. And that's part of the reason why I like using a lot of scriptures when I preach, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so just... Hearing these truths builds that faith. That's one way to get faith, is to actually meditate on the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God, so that it becomes truth, and that it becomes the conviction you have in your heart that you know that you know that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you have this authority and power. Now, another fortunate thing is that the book of Ephesians gives us tons of revelation and keys to our authority and power that we have in Christ, and how to overcome the power of the devil. Okay, so Paul obviously understood the power and authority that we have in Christ, and so I love the book of Ephesians. I want to—I'm kind of advertising it today. If you haven't read it in a while, it's a great book. Of course, all the books in the Bible are, but in particular, getting the revelation that we have in, of our authority and position in Christ. Okay, so what I want to focus on is—is is, okay. How do we how do we come to terms with the fact that we have this power? Because it's it's almost like, you know. Like, the analogy would be, like, say you had an inheritance of, like, $10 million, and no one ever told you that you have it. So say a distant relative passed away, and it's like, for whatever reason, you're, you, get, you have this inheritance coming to you. No one tells you. It's like, man, you could have access to all of this money, but you don't know about it, so you never access it. It's a similar, it's a similar thing with a lot of these truths. It's like, we, can, we have unfathomable access to uh, certain things that are almost hard to believe, and it's like if we don't ever try and access it, then we won't ever access it, obviously. Or on the other hand, it's like maybe you know about the $10 million, maybe a lawyer contacting you and say, hey, look, you have this inheritance, but it'd be like going around the rest of your life and never actually going to the bank and getting it, right? It's the kind of thing, it's like, it's one thing to know these things, but it's another thing to actually apply them, and that's an important thing. I want to bridge the gap between, okay, it's one thing to know, okay, Jesus said you have I've given you authority and power over all the, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Now, here's some practical application in how you do that. So what I want to focus on is the apostolic prayers. How many of you have ever heard that term or know what they are? Okay, a few of you. Essentially, you know what they are, even if you don't know that term. Essentially, that's a name for the prayers of the apostles that are in Scripture, the apostolic prayers. And I love these prayers. Okay, and I, that's why I want to sort of advertise them today, because, like, few, I like them for a few reasons. First of all, um, it gives us a glimpse into how, like, Paul the Apostle and other apostles prayed in the Bible. And they prayed, like, really bold thing, for bold things. They play, prayed, like, Paul, we're going to see this, Paul prayed really bold prayers. And it gives us sort of an idea, it's like, well, this is how they prayed. Maybe, maybe this is the kinds of things we should pray for, right? It's like, it's almost like, God is like, hey, he liked these prayers so much that it's like, I'm going to put them and canonize these prayers in the Bible forever. It's like, I like those prayers. Okay? So it's like, why not pray them for yourselves? Why not take those prayers that are in the Bible, pray them for yourselves, pray them for your loved ones? Because it's like, 
in, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says that um, if we come to God, we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, if we pray according to his will, we know that we have whatever we've asked of him. So it's like, obviously, if it's in the scripture, it's according to God's will, and so it's like guaranteed he's going to answer them, right? And so why not take these prayers as templates and just pray them for yourself, pray them for your loved ones? There's a lot of amazing things within these prayers that we can uh, apply in our own lives. So what I want to do is first start off in, in the first apostolic prayer in Ephesians, okay? So this is Ephesians 1, 16 to 23. And I'm going to just say the first couple of verses and point out a few things, right? Because we're talking about keys from the prayers of Paul. So he says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The first thing I want to stop and point out is, Paul here is actually using the sword of the Spirit. In Ephesians 6, that's what the metaphor he uses for the Word of God. How many of you recognize, I have highlighted here, the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation? That's a, that's a scripture from the Old Testament. Does anyone recognize that? Okay, a couple of people. I'll show you if, you if you don't. It's actually an allusion to Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3. Okay, this is a messianic prophecy talking about the ultimate man of the spirit, which happened to be Jesus Christ, right, the Messiah. So it says, a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse, which was David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and, and understanding or revelation. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he'll delight in the fear of the Lord. So Paul's actually praying scripture here in his prayers, which is like a key for us, right? It's like if Paul prayed scripture, why, don't, why not us? That's the sword of the Spirit, right? Um, and by the way, incidentally, if, if you've ever... How many of you have ever read the book of Revelations? Or with, maybe with Trepid... Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys remember sometimes it talks about the sevenfold Spirit of God? Have you ever wondered, like, what are you talking about? It's an allusion to this verse, if, just so you know, okay? So if you ever wondered what that was, it's like, oh, okay. There's seven dimensions there if you count. But anyway, Okay. Notice this. This is another prayer of Paul. This isn't in Ephesians, but I want to point out he does the same thing here. He actually prays the same scripture. This is how he begins Colossians, the prayer from Colossians, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Look at this. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Again, it's an allusion to that verse. So one prayer key from, the, from Paul is that he often used the Word of God within his prayers. And, and it's like, we should do the same. And one way we could do that is using Paul's, <laughs> the scripture of Paul's prayers in our own prayers. Another prayer key that I want to point out just in the first couple of verses and the, couple, the first couple of prayers I talked about is notice that Paul often starts his prayers by asking that they be filled with the Spirit in various ways. Both these prayers I just talked about, right? It's like that God would fill you with the uh, Spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is in line with how Jesus taught us to pray. If you remember at camp, and don't worry if you don't, the first night I talked about Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, which is a major teaching that Jesus gave us on prayer. And this is how he ended the prayer, or the teaching, rather. In verse 13, he says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Obviously, Paul took this seriously, because if you look at his major prayers in the Bible, that's how he starts off as being filled with the Spirit, or being filled with the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. 
right? And so it's like, okay, this is another thing that obviously we should maybe be asking for regularly in our prayer lives. So, I'm going to just move on here. So that was the first two verses in Ephesians prayer, first prayer. And then he goes on in verse 18. And this is, this is what I want to emphasize today. Okay, so I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, so this is why. There's a reason why he's saying, I pray that your, the, the eyes of your heart be enlightened or be opened. In order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So that's, I'm not emphasizing that today, but that's referring to eternity and the resurrection and the hope that we have. But this is what I want to emphasize. In verse 19, he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so buckle your seatbelts. This is about to get crazy. Because right now that might be, you might be like, okay, what's the big deal? Incomparably great, fine. The, the big deal is look at how Paul defines the power. Okay, he actually goes on after this and defines this is the, the power you have as a believer in Christ. Look at this. He defines it. That power that's resident within you is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And look at this. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That power that's within you is the same as that power. Look at this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's invoked. Not only in this present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Isn't that like, it's like, what? That power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him above all rule and authority and power and dominion and everything, every name that can be named, is in you as a believer in Christ. That's the extent of the power that you have. Now, and notice this. Paul's just elaborating on what Jesus said. What we talked about earlier in Luke 10, 19. It says, right, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's, Paul's just elaborating. Look at This is the Paul's just saying, look, all, that's true. All power, all authority, all dominion is resident with, you have that same power above all of these things. But, right? And that's why I want to, that's why it, it, this, this, this requires a revelation, right? Like, it's, it's almost so, like, hard to, to fathom that that's why, that's precisely why Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you come to terms with this. Because it's so important that it's like the bank account I was talking about. It's so important. It's like, yeah, you have this million dollars or maybe billion dollars would be a better analogy. You have to actually access it. You actually have to get the revelation that you have that power so that you can apply it in your own life. Now, just fast forward a few verses. Because remember, I'm kind of going through Ephesians here. Now, I want to make sure I point out how many of you know in the original letter there's no chapter breaks. <laughs> okay. So, so I want you, this is the same, so this is just four verses later for the sake of time, but this is the same thought. Paul keeps writing. This is just four verses after that prayer I just read. Okay, Ephesians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, but transgressions is by grace you've been saved, which we probably all know. Look at this, verse 6. And God raised us up, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Like, <laughs> it's like present tense. This is like, he's talking present tense, which is 
dealing with the conferring of authority that we have in Christ. Because remember, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. That's what he's saying. And you, as a believer in Christ, are positionally in that place in the heavenly realms in Christ, right now, present tense. So that's dealing with the authority you have in Christ above... Remember, that's where Christ is seated above all rule and authority, dominion, and power. Essentially, it's just saying you have the authority that Christ has in Christ at the right hand of God as believers, okay? And you have the power to overcome all of these things. It's just, again, elaborating essentially on what Jesus said. So positionally, that's where right now we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, according to this verse. Again, this stuff requires, requires revelation. This is why Paul's praying, your eyes and your heart would be enlightened so you'd come to terms with these things. Okay, now what I'm going to do, again, I'm kind of going quick, but for the sake of time, fast-forwarding now, look at Second Apostolic Prayer within Ephesians. That's why Ephesians is awesome. It's like two major apostolic prayers. And you're going to see, this is the way Paul prays. It's like, man, I can't believe he's praying for these things. It's phenomenal. So I'm going to start off, this is verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, look at this, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner beings. Notice he starts off again. This time he's praying that you'd be strengthened with that power. So in the first prayer, it's like, I want you to have the revelation of the extent of the power that you have. Now he's praying that you'd be strengthened with that power through the spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Look how much he's praying for power. That you have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Look at this. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> how many of you want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? What does that even mean? That's what I want. Like, what does that even look like? Being filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Obviously, if it's in Scripture, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, is it? I mean, if you believe Scripture's true, right? It's like you could potentially, apparently, be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And this is why Paul's praying this for us. This is, again, why I'm average. Why not pray this for yourselves and your loved ones? It's like if Paul prayed this regularly, it's like I continually pray this for you guys, why? Obviously, there's some keys here. It's like we should pray this for ourselves, maybe, right? Now, if that weren't enough, look at what Paul says next. Okay, so remember, this is what he just says. I would have it on the same slide, if, if, but there's too much. Look at this. Verse 20. Now to him who's able, able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What did Paul just ask for? That you'd be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And now he's saying God can even do beyond that. God can even do beyond what you could ask or even imagine. It's like, what? Paul just finished praying that audacious thing, and then he's like, look, God could even do more than that. But look at this. According to his power, that's at work within us. Again, it's like, man, this power we have, apparently, in Christ. He can do more according to that power. It's like, man, right, this is why it requires the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, I want you just to think about this. Like, what's the biggest thing you can imagine? Because I'm sure, like, if you're here, 
right? It's, you're probably, I'm, I'm just guessing you all have a heart for God. You want to do his will. You want to see the kingdom come and see Winnipeg saved and beyond, right? And I'm sure a lot of us might struggle with that. It's like, well, it's just little old me, right? Like, what, what could God ever do with me? And this is why Paul's like, hey, look, God can do beyond all you can ask. So if you can even think of something, like just think, okay, Winnipeg, all of Winnipeg, everybody 100% saved. That might be hard to think, but Paul's like, God can do beyond that. What about Manitoba? What about Canada? What about the entire world, right? It's like God can do beyond. If you can even ask it, God can do beyond it. And it's like we need to get, come to terms with it. It's like, yeah, wow. According to that power that's within us, apparently we, there's no limits. There is absolutely no limits to what we can do through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that's within us because of Christ. Again, it's not us. It's God. It's, right? it's, it's his authority. It's his power. So as believers, his incomparably great power and authority belongs to us whether we realize it or not. It's like the bank account. Whether we realize it or not or access it or not, that's true. Right? It's in the Bible. It's true if you believe the Bible, which, I mean, come on, you guys are called Oak Buff Bible Church. I'm sure you believe the Bible. <laughs> Hopefully, right? So, but just knowing this is enough, it's knowledge acted upon that brings results. Okay, so you got to do something, but you got to go to the bank, take out the money. <laughs> okay? It's not, you can't, it's like one thing you just know about this billion dollars, you got to go do something. Okay, but so then the question is, but what? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is focus on how to defeat the devil and the armor of God. Because the book of Ephesians, so there's all this, there's all this amazing stuff, okay? Like I, for the sake of time, I'm just giving you glimpses, but it culminates in chapter 6, and a lot of the stuff that we have been talking about in Paul's prayers, you're going to see he alludes to in chapter 6 to apply in a practical way, okay? So that's why I'm using it in this context. So fortunately, the scripture is clear in how we defeat the devil when he attacks us. You resist him by, first of all, standing firm in your faith. And I have a few scriptural references here. 1 Peter 5, 8, James 4, 7, Ephesians 6, 14, which is what we're going to focus on. So that's a key. Counterattacking with the word of God, which Paul refers to as the sword of the Spirit, and then praying in or by the Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to focus on those things. And what I'm going to do is show you, this is how Jesus did it. The armor of God is really practical. <laughs> I want to make sure I say that, because often we spiritualize these things, because it's like Paul's using this metaphor, and then it's like, oh yeah, pie in the sky, armor of God. But it's like, no, these are really practical things that we can use. And, and that's what I want to point out. Like, this is how we're actually supposed to do it, right? So, this is Ephesians 6, starting in, in verse uh, 10. Finally, because he's ending the letter, be strong in the Lord and in his what? Mighty power. That, and, right, it's like, I prayed that you'd have the revelation of this power, Paul's saying. I elaborated on the extent of this power. Now I pray that you would stand firm in that. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So that's the, what he's referring to, right? It's like, how do you defeat the devil? How do you overcome his schemes? Because whether we like it or not, we're still in the present evil age where Satan and, uh, right, can be doing evil and using people in evil ways and his demons are present using whatever. So it's like we have to deal with evil right now, right? The kingdom hasn't come and it's like until Christ returns and the resurrection happens, we're in this evil context. So Paul's like, hey, this is how you deal with it. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How many recognize those words I've highlighted? Anyone? Couple? Okay. I want to point this out. Paul's alluding to what I read to you in Ephesians 1. When he prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would come to know this incomparably great power for us to believe in the defines power. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 16. That power that's within you is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heaven. Look at this. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that can be evoked not only in this age and age to come. Look. Uh, Ephesians 6, same words. Right? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power. So in other words, Paul's like, remember guys, I, I told you the, the extent of the power that you have, and you have the power over all these things. Remember, that's why he's like, be, stand firm in that power, because our struggle's against these things, but good news, that power's within you to overcome. You have the authority, you have the power to overcome all of these things in Christ. And remember, I have the heavenly realms there, because if you remember in chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, God said, and he seated you in the heavenly realms in Christ, where Christ is seated, right, at the right hand of God. So we have the, he's, it's the authority and the power to overcome all of these things in Christ. So our combat against the devil should always be with the knowledge that we have authority over him because he's defeated, right? That's awesome. The enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold him down. Anyway, the Lord Jesus Christ defeated him for us. And this is, look at Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed the powers and the authorities, same language, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So it's like the enemy's already been defeated. Jesus has given us the power and authority, right, to, to spread the kingdom in his name. That's the Great Commission. It's like, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, he said to Jesus. Now go, make disciples of all nations. Right? So it's like he commissioned us to continue his ministry to be his hands and feet until he returns. And so it's like we need the revelation that we have this power and authority in Christ so that we can actually do the great commission that he called us all to do. All right, now I'm going to just move on. Ephesians 6, so verse 13. Therefore, he says it again, put on the full armor of God so that when, the, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. So stand firm then. And that's, that's a powerful, that's a powerful um, exhortation. Like I said, that's actually in a whole bunch of different books in the New Testament. You have to stand firm in your faith. It says the same thing in James 4, 7. Same thing in 1 Peter 5, 8. You've got to stand firm in your faith. So there's the standing that you have to do, which is sometimes hard. Now look at this. With a belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now this is what I want to focus on. The practical. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I've been alluding to that all along. And then in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So this is, this is what I want to focus on now. Okay, how to defeat the devil. Jesus is always our example. He, right, we're his disciples, and so he, we're followers of Christ. 
So we look to him, okay, how do we actually do this stuff? And what's interesting is Jesus used the armor of God when he was defeating the devil. That's why I'm saying it's really practical. We just have to look to his example and say, okay, this is what Jesus did. This is what we do. So I'm going to start off, you guys I'm sure all know these verses, but I want to talk about them now in this context. So I'm going to start off in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, this is the beginning of his ministry, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. I want you to remember that. This is my Son, because this is the Word of God. This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Okay, very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Go figure, right? It's like, that's an understatement, (laughs) not eating for 40 days. The tempter came to him and said, look at this. If you're the Son of God, what did God just say 40 days earlier? The one I highlighted. This is my Son. That's the word that God gave Jesus. And now the devil comes to try and under... Oh, if you're the Son of God. What does... Does that that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Think back to Genesis. (laughs) Did God really say? It's like... It's like a, it's worded differently, but that's what he's saying. He's getting you to under, it's trying to undermine your confidence in what God said, right? In, in, on his word. So it's like the devil doesn't, he's not, he doesn't use it, he doesn't do anything new. It's like ever since Adam and Eve, he's been doing the same thing. Getting you to question God's goodness, his word over your life personally, corporately, the scripture, whether it's true or not. It's like, did God really say that? Is that really true? Is that really for today? It's the same thing. Okay, so if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I want you to think of the language in Ephesians 6. What did it say? The shield of faith extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is a flaming arrow. Did God really say? If you're really the Son of God, right? So, look how Jesus answered. Talking about the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. It is written, goes to the Word of God, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so that's Deuteronomy 8.3. So, the enemy, I want, you, I want to point out something. This is interesting, because the enemy was tempting Jesus in two different ways. Okay? The first was to question his identity, if you're the Son of God, okay? And to prove God's personal word that he said over him, that this is my Son. Okay, so devil, the devil's trying to undermine that which God just told him 40 days earlier. The second was the bread. He was hungry, right? So it's, the, it's like, do this because, right, you're hungry. Why don't you just do this and eat? So there's two things going on here. What's really interesting about what Jesus did, right? He's the personification of wisdom. So he uses one verse and he extinguishes both of those temptations with the one verse that he used. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that. Okay, so he, but what I want to point out is he shows us how to de- defeat the enemy's attacks with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. With one scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3, he extinguishes both. And he counterattacks with the sword of the Spirit. So look at this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, so that's the hunger temptation, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is the identity temptation. Okay, so think about it. God just said, this is, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's the word of God to him personally that the devil's trying to get him to question. Okay? 
So that's, remember, of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's the word of God. Okay. But also, Jesus is living off of God's word from Scripture. Isn't that interesting? So there's a couple dimensions of what God's word's meaning here. It's the personal one where this is my son, and he's also, man shall live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Scripture. Okay, so, God, so Jesus is trusting in God's personal word about his identity, and he's using God's word from Scripture as his sword to defeat the enemy. Now, move on to verse 5. So that's the first attack. That's how Jesus defends himself. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and said to him, or, to, or had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Look at this, same thing. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Look at this, sneaky devil. Now he's using scripture. How many know the devil can use scripture out of context to try and deceive you? This is a perfect example. Devil's using scripture on him. He's like, okay, do this because it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up uh, in their hands so that you not strike your foot against a stone. It's terrible. That the devil's doing... Because how many of you know Psalm 91? This is from Psalm 91. How many of you know Psalm 91? Okay, a couple of you. I highly recommend... If you don't hear anything else today, which I hope you hear more than this, I highly recommend pray Psalm 91 for yourself. It's like one of the most amazing prayers for protection from everything that you have in script. It's like an amazing prayer that you can pray for yourself and your family. Go for it. But the devil's taking this specific psalm to try and get Jesus to, to jump off the temple. But look how Jesus responds. This is how we defeat the devil. He answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord of God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Right? So it's like, hypothetically, if the devil tries to use scripture out of context to try and deceive you, <laughs> to try and get you out of faith or whatever, doesn't the word say this? And it's like, you know in your heart, well, wait, the word also says this, devil. <laughs> it's also written this. Sometimes you've got to attack the devil that way. Matthew 4, 8 to 11. Okay, so again, this is the third temptation. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this, he says, all this I'll give to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13. Look at this. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended Jesus. So, if you guys were, you remember way back in the day at camp a couple months ago, do you know, notice what, how Jesus, he used what? The prayer of command. Away from me, Satan, right? Remember we talked, I gave a whole sermon on that. It's like, so he, not only did he use Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, he said, away from me, so he commanded him, right, which we do in, in the name of Jesus if the devil's ever attacking, right, because we have that authority. So, um, and, and notice this, James 4, 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, which is exactly what Jesus So this is a perfect illustration how we resist the devil. Shield of faith, extinguish the temptation, counterattack, word of God. And Jesus did that with Scripture. So this is how we stand firm. And eventually, if we stand firm and resist the devil, he'll flee, just like he did with Jesus. Okay? So the shield of faith extinguishes the enemy's lies, which, right, are common. The enemy will always try to undermine whatever it is God's calling you to do. 
And it could be personal words. I want to be clear with that. Like, say you felt a calling to do something specific, right? Maybe it's like God's called you to be an evangelist. And you know this in your heart, and you've known it for so long, and you're working at, like, Starbucks. What's the devil going to say to you? Did God really call you to be an evangelist? How is it you're working at Starbucks, right? He'll, he'll get you to question God's calling. How do you counterattack? Either it's written, or if it's a personal word, no, I am called to be an evangelist in Jesus' name, right? Even if it doesn't look like it now because of circumstances, I know that you counterattack with God's personal word to you. Okay, so both, personal and use scripture. Um, and then faith and prayer of command. Which, which, again, we talked about before. So, important point I want to point out. Because think about it. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so you guys probably know John chapter 1 theme. He is the Word. So think about this. If Jesus, who was the Word, had to take a stand on it is written, how much more do we need to stand on it is written? Right? It's like if this is how the Son of God did it, if this is how he, it's like, obviously, that's effective. And if he had to do that, and he had to take a stand on the word, how much more should we be doing that? And that's why it's important to meditate on the word, and to, like, read the Bible, and to know it. Because how are you going to counterattack with scriptures if you're unaware of these promises that are in the scriptures? How are you going to stand firm on the promises God gives us if we're unaware of those promises? So in order to counterattack, you need to use specific scriptures to actually do it. And it's, that's why it's so important to know your Bibles, to read the scripture, to, to meditate it, to, to even memorize it, to pray the scriptures. It's like if you're believing God for something, a question you should ask, what scripture are you standing on? What scriptural promises are you standing on to, to actually see the fulfillment of what you're believing God for? Right? Maybe it's healing. So then what do you do? The devil's going to come and say, well, maybe God, it's not God's will. He wants to heal you. Or maybe he heals some, but maybe not you. Or maybe healing's not for today. What do you do? You find scriptures in the Bible of God's promise and say, no, devil. Or whatever. It's, it is written, 1 Peter 2.24, by Christ's stripes I was healed. Right? And if I was healed, I am healed in Jesus' name. But if you don't know these promises, how are you going to counterattack, right? And so that's why it's good. If whatever it is you need or you're believing God for and you see the promises in the Scripture, find those promises and use them for, for this reason, if nothing else. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, this is an amazing verse, no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many, he's talking about all of them, no matter how many promises God's made, they're all yes in Christ. That means if you can find a promise in Scripture, guaranteed God's going to answer it. You don't have to waver. It's not maybe. It's not I'll think about it. God promises all of them are yes in Christ. But this is an important key. Right after he says, so the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, which means we actually have to do something about these promises. We actually have to come in agreement with them and say amen, which means pray them, declare them, come into agreement, say yes, your will be done according to these scriptures, according to these promises. Okay, so that's an important point, practical point that, yeah, we actually have to do something with these promises that God guarantees. 
Last but not least, I'm not going to spend hardly any time on this, but it would, it would be an injustice not to at least give lip service to it, okay? Because this is how Paul ends this exhortation, how to defeat the devil, praying in or by the Spirit, okay? So just look at this. Verse 18, I'm going to end on this because we're talking about prayer. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Like, it's like, okay, <laughs> how many times does Paul have to tell us? Apparently quite a few. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, which I'm an ambassador. Pray that I might be declared fearlessly as I should. So Paul urges all believers to use the two spirit weapons as they engage the enemy, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in prayer. Prayer is so crucial. It's so important. And it's God's provision for uh, us is our, with our, for our ongoing struggle against these principalities and powers. And this again, I just, 1 Thessalonians 5, look at this, 6, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, look at this, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Praying continually. Being th- and Paul demonstrated, like, like, look how many times he prayed in this one letter. In fact, if you look at all of his letters, except for a couple... Every single one starts off with a prayer in thanksgiving. Every single one. Except for Galatians. There's reasons for that. Um, and if you know Galatians. And uh, I think maybe 2 Timothy, maybe 1 Timothy. Either way, most of them start off with a prayer in thanksgiving. Because Paul lived this. And it was important. it's important. Prayer keys from the Apostle Paul. All right. So that's, this is just to summarize. Talked about exercising our authority. Last time we talked about the name of Jesus, faith and prayer and command, which I alluded to today. And then today was focused on the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, praying in and by the Spirit. Very practical, right? It's like, how do you defeat the enemy? It is written. Standing firm in that. All right, so what I want to do is end off on this prayer, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, but I wanted to advertise this. That's what I'm doing today. Advertising these prayers (laughs) so that you guys will hopefully take them and pray them for yourselves, your loved ones, your church, because these are awesome prayers. Now, This prayer I really, really like. One of the reasons is because when I was a pastor, one of the biggest, most common prayer requests I would get is, I want to know God's will for this specific situation. I want to know God's will for my life, especially younger people. I want to know, like, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to marry? What work am I supposed to do? Whatever. But we all know that. It's like we all want to know God's will. This prayer is all about knowing God's will. Okay? So if you're ever like, what am I supposed to do? I usually tell people, pray this for yourselves. Okay? So I'm going to just pray this for all of us, and we'll end um, I don't know if you have worship or not, but whatever you guys do. <laughs> okay, cool. So this Colossians 1, 9 through 14. So however you want to receive. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask to f- God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And we just give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We thank you, Father, that you've rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.